0: I'm going to spend some time in the Word tonight, so I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, as we did last week, the book of Proverbs. The past couple of weeks on Wednesday nights, we have considered some devotional thoughts and personal meditations for my own uh, quiet time, my own devotions and Bible study As we've noted, my goal in these weeks is to meditate with you on Scripture. And what I hope it will do is actually allow our minds to be bathed in the Word and to be changed in our thinking that the Word would work itself out in our lives as our minds are changed by the truth. Last time we spent our time together on Wednesday night in the first paragraph of Proverbs chapter 3, And tonight I want to ask you to turn back to that same chapter, Proverbs chapter 3. What I want to do is spend some time asking you a handful of questions that are rooted in the second paragraph of that same chapter. So Proverbs chapter 3, tonight I want to begin our reading at verse 13. I'm going to read down through verse 26, that'll be our context, and then I want to work back through this in sections and ask us some questions this evening as we're meditating on the word. So I'll read from verse 13 down through verse 26. We read this. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot. From being caught. So you noted last week the book of Proverbs is a book of biblical wisdom. We said that Proverbs is a book that calls us to pursue godly wisdom. And Proverbs also provides us with Godly wisdom. That's what this book is for. It's intended to give us wisdom. But before we go ahead tonight further and, and kind of dive ahead into this passage, I want to take just a moment and attempt to give us a definition of that central foundational term. There are a number of definitions. I, I have I've studied many of them over the years. I've tweaked and, and tried to define this various ways. But tonight I want to offer a definition that's going to do my best to capture as much as I can of what the Bible says when it uses this term, what it means. Now, Because the fact of the matter is that one of the best ways to define a term is by considering its context. And and this word is found all over Scripture. And so there are a lot of contexts to consider. So so what is the whole of Scripture intending us to understand when we consider wisdom? And as I said, this has been attempted by many. I'm going to kind of take some of what I've gleaned from various places and put together a definition for us tonight. I would divine wisdom tonight this way. I'd argue that wisdom... Is having the biblical knowledge, practical understanding, and God-given strength of character that it takes to do what is right and best in any given situation for the glory of God and the good of all involved. This is an attempt, okay, to try to capture as much biblical material as we can to take this idea. What is it talking about when the scriptures address this concept of wisdom? It's biblical knowledge, practical understanding, and strength of character that does something. It doesn't just know something. It acts on those things. And it's what it takes to do what's right and best in any given situation. Most importantly, for the glory of God. But also for the good of all involved. We read this term, and I think if we're not careful, we read right over the term. And we find ourselves thinking far too shallow of a meaning when we think of wisdom. In fact, I would argue that many within the church today pray for wisdom. But what they really mean is this. They simply want God to give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down for the plans they've already made for themselves. They think wisdom is simply getting God's little stamp on what I already want to do. Wisdom is just give me a yes or give me a no so I know if I can do what I want to do or not. It's not God change the way I think. Change the way I believe. Change the way I navigate life so that I will act with the character you give and the information you give and the practical understanding you give so that what I do isn't merely what I want, but what is best according to your truth for the sake of your glory and for the good of everyone involved in my life. I think so often we find ourselves approaching God and praying for wisdom almost as if we've approached some kind of cosmic vending machine. Oh God, I don't know what to do, so I've got these two forks in the road and it couldn't be a third option I've not considered. It's got to be one of these two things that I've already determined is the path I want to take. So would you just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down so I know which road to walk down? Not God, your will be done in it all. So often the way we approach this concept of wisdom is just not the way the scriptures would have us think about it. And so tonight there's a handful of thoughts that I'd like to, to, to really for us to, to notice and to, and to consider by way of questions. I want to ask you three questions tonight from this text, rooted in this text. And, and I'm asking myself the questions as well. I told you these are just thoughts from my own musings and meditations in my, my private time with the Lord in these recent days. But the first thing I'd ask you is this, friend, do you treasure godly wisdom? Do you treasure godly wisdom? The text was plain in the first few verses of the passage we read when the writer says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And we all would say yes and amen, but I would say how heartily are you saying amen? Because it goes on to describe the way our hearts should long for this and, and rejoice in this and count this as, as glorious treasure. Why? For the gain from her, from wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Okay, that's a perspective changing statement. Wisdom is not merely something I can flippantly find or not find and figure I'm going to be okay regardless. No, this is something I treasure, I value more than anything else. In fact, he goes on and he says in the next verse, she, wisdom, is more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. You know, the language used in these verses, if we stop and think about it, really, friends, is mind-blowing. It is is paradigm-shifting truth. You see, everything written here flies in the face of both our human nature and our modern culture. To the human heart, to the modern mind, few things are to be treasured as much as money. After all, money makes the world go around, right? Or so they say. We're trained from childhood to think that there are few problems in life that a little more money can't solve. (laughs) If I just had a little more money, I wouldn't be in the problems I'm in. Just had a little more money, I'd have more respect than I do. Just had a little more money, I could solve my relational differences and my issues in the family. If I had a little more money, my health would be better. My situation would be different. Be more comfortable. Life would be better. I could buy peace if I just had some money. Life would be different. Yet, though we know what the scriptures teach us, we find this creeping into our thinking because it's pervasive in our culture and in our nature. In fact, there are reasons why the scriptures tell us again and again to be on guard against the love of money. In fact, the love of money pits my heart against the love of God. It will it will take over like a taskmaster and rule me. If I don't rule over it. In fact, our text tells us that nothing, nothing is to be valued more than wisdom. And the language is plain. The gain from her is better than gain from silver. The the gain from her, the profit from her is better than gold, verse 14 says. We look at our culture. We look at our nature. We realize the pull of our hearts. We listen to the warnings of Scripture that tell us what we're like and how we think. And yet there still is some common sense among some who look at all of this and say, even the rich aren't happy. And so we hear the common statement repeated as almost a mantra uh, that's a warning just in the in the common culture at times. Well, money can't buy happiness, right? Money can buy a lot of things, but it can't buy happiness. Friends, wisdom, the text tells us, provides far more than money ever could. In fact, the text tells us that wisdom is far better than any amount of riches because, as the text tells us in verses 17 and 18, wisdom leads to life. It leads to honor. It leads to pleasantness. It provides peace. You look at what it tells us. Wisdom brings and money can't buy any of these. But wisdom provides them. Biblical, godly wisdom works this in the heart and the mind and the life of those who have it. Let's be honest, no amount of gold or silver can purchase this kind of blessedness. Fill your bank accounts and fret that someone else is going to take it, right? But God fills your mind and heart with his wisdom and it changes everything about your life. So again, I want to ask the question, friends, can we honestly say that you and I treasure, treasure godly wisdom? We kind of approach wisdom with a, well, I hope the Lord gives me, but if not, I'll be okay. Do you understand that the text is telling us without his wisdom, we will not be okay? No matter how well we think we're doing, how rich we uh, we find ourselves because of what we amass to ourselves, uh, we understand, friends, that we are not okay without the wisdom of God. Do you treasure his wisdom? Second question I'd ask you in the text is this. Not only do you treasure godly wisdom, but secondly tonight, do you honor godly wisdom? What's your view of wisdom? I mean, how do you think About it. Just look at the next two verses in the passage when we read this. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You say, Pastor, what in the world is it talking about? If you stop and you you mull this over a little bit, I think it becomes pretty clear pretty quick that true biblical wisdom is so much more than merely being smart or knowing how life works best or having momentary insight into a particular isolated incident. That's how we tend to pray, right? I don't know what to do about this, so God give me wisdom. Now, wisdom provides insight into those very things, but we tend to think that's all wisdom is. It's just the answer to the problem I currently have. That's wisdom. But that's not how the writer of Proverbs paints the picture of wisdom for us. You see, according to our passage, wisdom is what guided God's ordering of creation. Look at the language. By wisdom, God founded the earth. By wisdom, He established the heavens. By wisdom, He broke open the deeps. By wisdom, He sends the dew and the rain from their storehouses. And we have to understand as you study the scripture and the descriptions we find elsewhere of these very things that God did by His wisdom, we have to understand that not one of these things is an end in itself. In fact, the Scriptures tell us, friends, that God is doing so, so much more in the created order than simply causing rain to fall or causing the sun to rise. In fact, the fact that the sun rises or that the dew is on the ground preaches the truth that God is. It proclaims the glory of the One who is all-wise. This is the point it's so much more those things he does but those things are in the grand scope of all that he knows and all that he's working when god does one thing he's working it to a million different ends and you and i just want to know which grade of gas to buy or 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 which store to shop at to save the most money on my groceries this week oh god give me wisdom i need to save some money Oh, God, give me wisdom because I'm not sure what school to go to or what car to purchase or what kind of shoes to buy or or, or which which store to shop from or what brand I should be considering in my next purchase. We think that's the wisdom of God. Do we honor wisdom? Or do we think it's nothing more than the kind of thing you put 50 cents in a soda machine and you get the drink of your choice? It's just cheap to us. And it would be really nice to be a little smarter than I am, to a little, know a little more than I do. But do we understand that wisdom is so much bigger and so much grander than what we even can imagine? And yet we find ourselves seeking for it like, like beggars. Would you just give me a few crumbs when it tells us that the wisdom he's offering to give us is the same wisdom with which he founded the earth? Do we honor wisdom? Do we even think about it? Meditate on it. Pursue it. Pray for it. Do we honor wisdom that comes from God? Do you treasure godly wisdom? Do you honor godly wisdom? Wisdom. But the third thing I'd ask you tonight is this, and I'd ask it of myself as well. Do you walk in godly wisdom? Do you walk in godly wisdom? Look at verse 21 and following where we read these words, my son, do not do not lose sight of thee." Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid when you lie down. Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. Brothers and sisters, it's one thing to say that we walk in the wisdom of the Lord, right? That's an easy thing to say. But friends, it's a completely different thing to walk securely, to sleep soundly, and to live fearlessly. But those are the results, the writer tells us, that come into the life of the one who truly walks in wisdom. They walk securely. They sleep soundly. And they live fearlessly. You you see that description, he says in verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely. Your, Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Right? Would you and I describe our sleep as sweet? Because our souls rest secure in our God. He says in verse 25, we don't need to be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked. We live fearlessly. We don't live constantly dreading the next, what's around the next bend or, or, or what the next issue's gonna be or, or what the next edict's gonna bring or, or, or whether or not we're gonna uh, suffer from famine or disease. Like we, we don't live fearfully like the rest of the world does. If we walk in wisdom, we walk securely. We sleep soundly. We live fearlessly. That's the description this writer gives us of what wisdom does in the life of the one who truly is walking. In the wisdom of God. Don't miss the way that the passage tells it that those who walk in godly wisdom will not be gripped and governed by the fears that trouble the lives of those who do not know God. You see that in verse 25? Don't be afraid of the sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. You're not gripped by the same fears they are. I'm not gripped by the same fears that they are if we're walking in the wisdom of God. In fact, look again at the reason God's people have confidence when nobody else around them does. He says that in verse 26. Do not be afraid. Verse 25. Do not be afraid of the sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Why? For the Lord will be your confidence. The Lord will be your confidence. He will keep your foot from being caught. This is not self-confidence. I'm wise, therefore I'm safe, right? Look at me. I make good choices and I've made good decisions and I planned well and I bought the best brand and I've got the most money and I've got the, the wisest plan for my life. And, and so and so I don't need to fear because I, I make really good choices. No, your confidence is never in you and it's never in me. Our confidence is always in the Lord. The Lord will be your confidence. Not you and your choices. Not me and mine. I wish I had time to chase this further tonight. We really don't have time to chase this as far as I I wanted to. But I was I was mulling this over in my own heart and I thought as Christians and, and, and now that the New Testament uh, understanding of, of Christianity, how, how, how do we make of this kind of uh, principle when it comes to wisdom? How are we to think about this? And I'd encourage you, you may if you're jotting down some notes, I'd encourage you to spend some time on your own uh, studying the way that the New Testament writers connect our Lord Jesus to the wisdom that God gives us as his children. Christ. And wisdom, how they come together in the New Testament. In fact, in particular, 1 Corinthians and the book of Colossians do this multiple times. Where we see these brought together. And I just want to demonstrate to you quickly how the New Testament writers take up statements like this. And flesh them out for the, the Christian today. To understand how do we live in such a way that the Lord is our confidence. Not that we're our confidence. But that he is. I mentioned two books. I'm going to, ha- I'm going to t- t- turn you to two texts. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just read a handful of verses. And then I'm going to read a couple of verses from Colossians. And we'll bring it to a close tonight so we can go to prayer. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning of verse 27. You-, you might be familiar with these words where Paul tells the church that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I thought you said God gives us wisdom. Right. His wisdom's at work here. God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And it's not Paul sitting back and going so that no human beings out there might boast in the presence of God. The language is superlative here that no human beings. Not even you or me might boast. Because we know what he chose and he chose us. And that's a description of us. Foolish, weak, beggarly, despised. That's who we are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, now that sounds like we have, we have no confidence at all now, right? No, No basis for any confidence. Why? Look at who he chose. That's who I am. So now we're going to walk around with our heads hanging low. There's no confidence at all, right? Keep reading. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, what? Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is a Pauline way of saying, your confidence and my confidence is in the Lord. Not in myself. Not in my smarts and my plans and my purposes and my hard work and my, my good character. And, and now I am proud and I am confident because of who I am. No. Who has he chosen? He's chosen the weak and the poor and the despised so that none of us have a reason for boasting unless We are boasting in the Lord who gave us his son, who is wisdom from God and sanctification and redemption. Our whole standing is in him. Friends, the Lord is our confidence. Not only does he deal with Christ as our wisdom here, but Paul again in Colossians chapter one does something similar as he's making much of Jesus. And in Colossians chapter one and verses twenty seven and twenty eight, you may know these verses. The Apostle Paul says this to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery is he talking about? Which is Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. What is your hope of glory? Your confidence that one day you will not be left to yourself or, or left to damnation, but you will be ushered into the very presence of God, into the glory that has been promised to his own. What is your hope that you will one day be in glory, friend? It's not because you happen to be in this building tonight when there are lots of people who aren't in a building like this in our town. It's not because you wore the right clothes or you played the right part or you bought the right stuff or you you made some good choices. No, your hope is not anything about you. It is about Christ. In you. He. Is your hope. Of glory. Look at verse 28. We don't preach ourselves him. We proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature. How? In Christ. In Christ. Brothers and sisters, I think it should be abundantly clear to us by now that when wisdom rules in your life as one of God's children, the Lord Will be your confidence. And I need to ask us. What makes you sleep well at night? Well, I worked hard today. I wore myself out. I couldn't help but sleep. Hold on. No. Why did the writer say your sleep will be sweet? Because when you lay your head down, you're not resting in your hard work. You're not resting in your plans and your purposes and your bank accounts and and all that you've done. You're resting in the Lord. You sleep well because you rest in him. So I have to ask us again tonight, do You, do I, walk in wisdom? One of the ways we measure whether or not we are walking in wisdom is the things we talked about earlier. Are we living fearlessly? Are we sleeping soundly? Are, are, Are we walking securely, understanding that at the end of the day, our confidence is never in us? But always in him. Friends, we want to live this year. And honestly, every other year of our lives. Walking in the wisdom of our God. It should be our desire. It should be our prayer. It should be our pursuit. To walk in the wisdom of God. So tonight, as we go to prayer, I want us to pray as those who treasure, truly treasure, and honor, and walk in, by His grace, godly wisdom. I find myself already this year, reading back through passages I've read for many years of my life, but I've been finding those things Challenging my own mind and heart and soul to ask questions about, have I come to the place where what I think of wisdom is, is less than I ought to be thinking? I'm not honoring it as I ought. Am I, am, am, I, am I hoping for wisdom, but at the end of the day, I just want to be a little smarter so I can be a little more confident in myself. Which is often what humans want, right? We just want to know a little bit more than we know now so that we can feel a little bit better about the choices we're making. Rather than a surrender that says, God, I want whatever you want for me. And by your grace, I'll walk in those ways. So let's pray as those who treasure and honor and walk in godly wisdom. And by his grace, may we see the fruit that he's promised he works in the hearts of those who surrender to him. And pursue and walk in his wisdom. All right. Let's pray like that tonight.